Hello. What were you doing in 1996? 25 years ago, Gareth Southgate missed a penalty and England were out of the Euros at semi-final stage. More of that later. But it's been 25 years after the promise to Abraham in Genesis 15. And a covenant is made here in chapter 17. There are three points I'd like to look at. Firstly, that covenant which was made for all. Secondly, that God uses an ordinary sign. And thirdly, that God performs a miracle. So God says, I am God Almighty. Be faithful. I will make a promise and you will multiply. The word which is used is greatly increase your numbers. Now, recently there was a multiply conference and a plan was unveiled called um, Myriad to uh, plant 10,000 churches, house churches with lay leaders, not limited by buildings or the requirement to have clergy, but with the plan of making one million new disciples. Now, in 2019, the average church attendance for the Church of England was 1.1 million. So that means that the plan here is to double the number of new disciples, to make as many new disciples as there are at the moment. Does that sound familiar, Christchurch? We've been saying that for the last two years. The plan is to make as many disciples as we have already. Yet again, Christchurch goes and others follow. Yet there have been objections to this ambitious plan. Here's one tweet. We call you to vote this down in General Synod. We don't want more money spent on gimmicks that undermine our parish system, our sacramental mission and our beautiful church buildings. Save the parish. I much preferred another post. I reckon that a good sized community is about a thousand. There are 56 million people in England. That equates to 56,000 new church plants. It's not ambitious enough. God makes a promise to Abraham that he will be the father of many nations. He will be fruitful, that kings will come from you. And this promise is eternal. It is forever. God's ambition is big and so should ours be. Now, Paul Eriadine recently highlighted two articles in the Church Times for us to consider. One was an editorial, which asked several questions about the outworking of this myriad plan. It was sceptical, but it was practical, and it was seeking answers, and therefore it was helpful in moving the conversation along. The other was from a regular contributor to Church Times. Here's a quote. The contrast between what the C of E believes about itself and the aspirations of the evangelical networks that many are linked into seems so extreme as to be unbridgeable. Now, whether we associate with a network of any flavour of Anglicanism, evangelicals are not the only ones, an aspiration to grow, to share the gospel and to make disciples is being church. To think of ourselves otherwise makes us a holy club. 
Archbishop William Temple famously said that the church exists solely for its non-members. The article goes on. The reality is that in spite of the decade of evangelism, church planting, fresh expressions and other initiatives, the decline in numbers of Church of England worshippers has continued. The defeatism of the author demonstrates, I think, the issue of decline rather than critiquing it. For God said to Abraham, multiply. Be faithful, but also we are ordained to grow, grow in holiness, grow in faithfulness, grow in worship and discipleship, be followers, believers in God, and to grow in number. One final quote from the article, these are hard times for the faith, fallow times for the Church of England, with its cautious, grounded via media, via media so needed yet currently unwanted. It takes courage to face this. Friends, there is no obvious harvest around the corner right now. The declaration of assent is a call not to success, but to faithfulness. Take no thought of the harvest, but only of proper sowing. The declaration of assent, which is referred to, is the declaration made by ordained clergy on ordination, and then when appointed to a new post such as I had to swear as I came to Christchurch. Ordained clergy affirm that they believe what the church believes. We find this in scripture, in the Book of Common Prayer and the 39 articles. If you want to know what those are, come on our Friday uh, Bible study. It's been fascinating. But also that they will share this with others, this faith with others. They also say that we should only use the legally allowed forms of service. Common worship that was introduced in 2000 allows for services that have a direction that brings glory to God, but little actual prescription. Fresh expressions are specifically not tied even to those rules. The author's objection to house churches seems to be that lay people cannot be trusted to do things in inverted commas properly, preferring instead to limit church to something that is controlled by and led only by clergy. I am unconvinced that that is how the church grew in the first century, nor how it was intended by God through Paul and the others. John Wesley was part of an 18th century Church of England that suffered a similarly retrenched attitude in the face of godlessness that surrounded it. His approach was remarkably similar, similar to what is proposed. He said, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. Abraham was told that through him, God would multiply the people. But that was a promise for all. We can notice that Abraham is told that he will be the father of many nations. And Paul takes this idea of Abraham as the father of nations and through Jesus extends it to all believers. In Romans 4.16, 
The promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only those who are of the law, but also those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. And then in Galatians 3, 28, 29, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is, uh, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So why is this important today? Well, we said we'd come back to it. Last Sunday, England lost a final in a penalty shootout. The three who did not score failed. The purpose of penalty taking is to score and the three of them failed to do so. Frustrating as that is for the supporters who watched, how much more was it for them? Gareth Southgate knew this all too well, as well as the wind of frustration that comes your way from those who thought you should have scored for them. It becomes personal. The possible retribution for failure increases the pressure, I'm sure, on those who are stepping forward. I don't know about you, I wouldn't like to do it, would you? All of those things I've just said are true, whoever is tasked with taking the penalty. None of that has anything to do with the colour of the player's skin. Criticising players online for failing happens. There are ways of doing this well, and there is abuse. That failure has nothing to do with the colour of their skin. We have a common humanity. Abraham's promise and Jesus' coming show us that. To suggest it is to do with the colour of the skin is both wrong and multiplies the perpetrator's sin many times. It is wrong and must not happen. Lewis Hamilton, Formula One driver, put it this way. We must work towards a society that doesn't require black players to prove their value or place in society only through victory. This is true of all walks of life. Uh, secondly, God has given this sign, uh, given this promise, and it is a promise to all, but he also gives a sign of the promise. Notice that God promises first. Abraham is to respond, but God promises first. God promises uh, come first to us and we need to receive them. I have given you the covenant, you must now keep it, says God. And that promise was marked by a sign. Now Noah received the sign of the rainbow. John the Baptist offered a sign of new belonging for the Jewish believers, baptism. It was not a new thing to be cleansed in water, but that was reserved for Gentiles to convert to Judaism. For Jews to be told that they had to be baptised with water was shocking. Yet John prophesied that baptism with water would give way to a baptism that was even greater with the Holy Spirit and fire. And the ordinary sign of baptism was water. The ordinary sign of the covenant to Abraham was circumcision. It was a practice with medical and spiritual significance for hundreds of years before this. 
Do this thing as a sign of my promise to you. Jesus took ordinary bread and wine and said, do this in remembrance of me. He took the ordinary and made them special. God takes the ordinary and makes it special by what he does. Yet we as church over many years seem to have taken the ordinary that he makes special and made it being special about us. Who says the words? Which cup we drink? Who can administer? Who can preach? Who can pray? And what words we say? We should not seek to limit what God can do by making the ordinary that we are invited into by making us special. It is God who makes it special. Finally, God has made a promise. He gave an ordinary sign. And thirdly, he performs the impossible. We are told that the receipt of the promise, Abraham fell face down. He lowered himself before the footstool of the almighty God. And in verse 15, he is told of Sarai's change of name to Sarah. She will give birth to a son. Now, Abraham was feeling his age at 99, I'm sure. But what about the news about Sarah? She was 90 years old. Now, there's a line in When Harry Met Sally, the film, where Sally is worried about the direction that her life is taking. And she says, crying hysterically, and I'm going to be 40. And Harry says, when? Someday, says Sally. In eight years, says Harry. But it's there. It's like a big dead end, and it's not the same for men. Charlie Chapman had kids in his 70s. Harry responds, yeah, but he was too old to pick them up. I'm not sure Harry helped the situation. God's news sounds not just unlikely, but impossible. That Sarah would have a child at 90 and that Abraham would father this child at 99. This second instalment of the promise, Sarah's transformation and blessing, makes Abraham laugh. He muses, will a son be born to us? Can God do this? Do this. It's a joyful laugh in the face of God's incredibly ambitious, yet totally credible plan. We have heard over recent weeks how Abraham has been faithful without question, leaving uh, travelling without knowing where he was going. The promise over Isaac, who Sarah will bear, is made as an everlasting covenant. All this, as we noted last week, is despite Abraham's lack of trust and appalling treatment of Hagar that Simon shared with us last week. God can still bless Abraham and use him in God's unwavering plan, albeit making him wait a further 13 years. God does not condone his behaviour, but he did bless those affected, Hagar and Ishmael. God will be known later uh, to generations as the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. These three are the patriarchs of Israel and of all generations of believers. Abraham, the father of many nations, is called to be a part of a miracle and nothing less. So God make, made a promise that is available to all. God gave an ordinary sign and God performed a miracle. 
Abraham, for his part, fell down before him. Abraham did what he was instructed by circumcising his household. And Abraham laughed with joy in anticipation of God, what God was about to do. So where are you today? Do you rue the terminal decline of the church? Have you given up on the mission of God or that you could have any part of it? Do you believe that the only call is to faithfulness, to do what we have always been doing? Or are you ready to fall down before God, willing to obey his commands, however strange they may seem, to sing a new song to the Lord? And are you filled with joy at what he might be about to do? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of Abraham. We thank you that you use the ordinary, and that includes us, in your great mission to do the impossible, to share joy and good news. Help us to listen, to obey, to fall down at your feet and help us to take the path that you take, you want us to take. To imagine the impossible, to believe in the promise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.